0: to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. Another episode of PWE and Me is coming at you. And today's guest is uh, somebody from out west. Out west is a very close place to my heart, which we haven't even talked about yet, Eric. But um, I would like to welcome Eric monday to the show welcome eric thank you so much for having me all the way from out west
1: here i'm in vancouver this morning
0: there you go now when i said out west has a near and dear place um it's not as for as far as vancouver but it's it's saskatchewan my time my family spent some time in saskatchewan and uh, having grown up in and around toronto i really did think the world you know revolved around toronto Mm -hmm. um but living in Saskatchewan was wonderful, and now whenever I go out to Vancouver or Calgary, I just have a much deeper appreciation. So I'm quite envious that you get to see the mountains right now as we speak.
1: Oh, it's so great. A little bit of mountain, a little bit of Pacific Ocean, and uh, everything in between.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Eric, uh, Eric and I met on LinkedIn And, uh, I, I was drawn to his work. He was talking about the workplace and had written a book. Uh, and so I picked that book up how to read and, uh, and here we are. So, so Eric, I would love to dig into your insights around rethinking work and what inspired you specifically to write this book.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I I graduated out of the University of Calgary and I did what many of my peers were doing at the time. I applied to about 50 different jobs. I changed one line in the cover letter and just applied to the best places to work in the province or, you know, even in the country when the province didn't pan out. And I found that after all of my applications, I didn't get the opportunity. I didn't get that dream job that I'd hoped and worked for for five years and uh, was ultimately left a little bit stranded. Uh, I, I found that the people that did get that dream job, the company that they were working for two years later had hit a quarter life crisis. And I found that the current status of work when we're trying to find happiness, fulfillment, impact, purpose, and the work that we did, it, w- it wasn't translating. The, the, the rhetoric was there, but it wasn't happening. And what I realized is that the job descriptions didn't really describe the job. Uh, you know, a best place to work for you might be a toxic work, for me, even though the logo is fantastic and the brand reputation is good. And the way that we viewed work was still this thing that we had to do from nine to five that we hated, uh, that you know we skipped out of the office on Friday afternoon, dragged our heels to work on Monday morning and hadn't yet fixed. So what we did in the early days is we built a tool that quantified workplace culture or we quantified the employee experience so that companies could attract right. and retain the right talent for them. And ultimately, I ended up writing Rethink Work with the notion of, or the idea of, or the goal of removing that negative connotation associated with work by changing the way that we attract and retain talent.
0: So I had, I had to go back a few, a few of the, you said so many great things there. Um, how the heck did you figure this out two years out of school? Like that, that's what I was still trying to get yeah. my head around because it took me a good, I don't know, 15, 20 years to really, um, I, I felt it, but I didn't, I guess I didn't acknowledge it. So can we just go there? How did you figure that out so fast? And what, what inspired you to act on it and do what you've done?
1: Sure, yeah. We, we started actually before we graduated um, because we saw that the problem was so glaring. Anytime we opened the Golden Mail, the National Post, the Financial Post, CTV, Gold, you know anything in between, it was the millennials are coming. Like, like it was some fear mongering tactic, you know, like these people were any different than the generations before them. And so, you know, our, our entry point was to help organizations attract and retain millennial talent. Now, what we found when we started to survey thousands of people, interview hundreds of people, is that at the end of the day, we all go back to Something along the lines of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, shelter, water is the base of that hierarchy. A sense of <clears throat> emotional, physical, psychological safety comes second, and then a sense of belonging and love. And when we look at this distraction economy that we're living in right now, I think that you know, we're more lonely than we've ever been before. The World Economic Forum would say that we're entering a loneliness epidemic. But I would say yeah. that this war for talent isn't really a war for talents. It's a war for complete information and education. Many people mm. don't know what it is that they're signing up for. And as a result, have a complete mismatch because the information wasn't there to make an educated decision. So, so know.
0: yeah, so that I mean that that's fascinating right there because we've just all come to expect to read that job description and blah blah blah, and right. we kind of make up stories in our head, right, about what we think it's going to be. And so what you're saying right. is is like uh-uh, like this isn't working,
1: right? I mean, here's the thing, you know, Apple, great place to work, uh, Facebook. Well, not as great place to work uh, was a great place to work, perhaps. But who am I to say? I have no idea if these are great places to work. See, the number one place to work in uh, America right now is Salesforce. The second best place to work is Hilton, <laughs> uh, the hotel mm. chain. Now, I, I wouldn't suggest that somebody that works at Hilton would want to work at Salesforce. Somebody that works at Salesforce would want to work at Hilton. I mean, that's just that's just not true. And so, if we can understand what makes us. The best place to work or if we can understand the experience that we're signing up for and what our day-to-day looks like then we start to realize that we're not signing up for a job we're signing up for a life as a result of the job maybe it's a nine to five maybe it's seven to seven maybe it's nine to nine six days a week if you go back to that story a few weeks ago that came out about jack ma endorsing the 996 work week i guess what i'm trying to say is what we found is that In the research that we did, and I I say research lightly, we we surveyed people to understand what their experiences were. But in in our research, what we found is that how people felt mattered more than what they did. Because I believe that you and I could do one of a thousand things, feel a sense of purpose, impact, value add, and still get great work done. And so it wasn't the logo. It wasn't the office location. It was how people felt when they were in that job that ultimately enabled them to be, to, to be the best version of themselves. Yet we don't talk about I, that in the job description.
0: We don't. And and so that's where I wanted to go because um, I, I hate titles like you. In fact, I wrote a bit in my book. I'm like, who cares what the millennials are? We all have needs. So I, I absolutely aligned with you on that one. I, you know, I'm Gen X. I grew up in a time where my dad, my dad... Outwardly said, you aren't supposed to like your job. You go make money and <laughs> you come home. And it, right. it like, it never left me. And so I remember, you know, what I felt so special to get hired by a big company. And, and so, um, you know, I it just wow, like it, it was, it was like, um, they were doing me a favor. That's right. And, and what's really shifted and it shifted for me over my years working was like, wait a sec, this whole, um, like i i'm trying to find the right words to say it is is that I needed to understand the value that I brought instead of being so grateful that they were to have hired me. Um, And and I think when we come from this mindset of like, oh, I just want to work for this wonderful company because everyone else says it sounds so good. Mm -hmm. We put our needs second. Mm -hmm. And what I took from reading your book was like, no, folks, like we have to stop this. You need to understand what you need and then make sure that that lines up with what's actually happening in the company. Is that fair to
1: say? I would say that's fair to say. Two things, though. Number one, it's not the company's objective or goal or requirement to cater to or to accommodate to your needs. I think it's really about them being intentional about the environment that they've created uh, in order to ensure there's alignment. But number two, it's to put as much effort into marketing... Job opportunities as they do their services and product. <laughs> I mean that—that's yep. what blows me away more than anything. We put so much time into marketing our products and services, which, by the way, is, is is fantastic. I'm not suggesting we do any less of that. But then we put out this 250 word job description on Indeed saying that we're looking for a motivated, successful, communicative, respectful team player that wants to succeed. You know, we've got a ping pong table, we've got a keg, we've got a dog, and we've got an open office. You can work a little bit flexibly and remotely and come on in. It's going to be a great fit. By the way, we're on the top employers list. I'm thinking, yep. What? What, yep. What, what's going on here? You know, how, how is this going to work? How many people are on my team? How many emails am I going to get a day? What time do I leave work? Do I have to work on the weekend? And truthfully, there's no right answer. But there are answers and there are answers that are right for you and there are answers that are right for me. So I guess to summarize what I'm saying is there's two responsibilities of the company. Number one is to not necessarily accommodate or cater to anyone. It's to understand what that experience is. And number two is to scream that experience from the mountaintops knowing that it's not going to be everything to everyone. But that's okay. It only needs to be everything to the people that we have in our places of work.
0: Yep. And, and what do you think is getting in the way of that? Um, I mean, we're, we're fully aligned on this. There's no question is, is, is this whole idea of the employee experience and being sure. real about it. Because if you're real about it, you'll get the right people. And we can't be everything to everyone. Sure. So what do you think stopping organizations from being real in these job descriptions or being real about understanding the employee experience?
1: Well, it's, it's the way it's always been done. That's, that's the first piece, I would say. Um, it's really easy to put out a template, a job description for an account manager, the same one that we put out three weeks ago and the same one that we put out four months ago. Um, yep. Where I think the opportunity is is to understand what, what I call the heart of the team, that is the habits, the artifacts, the rituals, and the traditions that make that team unique. It's to understand the people that are there. Knowing that, first of all, say the culture lives at a team level, not an organizational level, if I can unpack that a little bit. Culture, of course, is still a term that we can't universally degree or understand what it means. But I would say it's the environment that employees can ultimately thrive in. And yep. I would say that while the mission vision values live on the organizational level, the experience lives on the team level. Yet we talk about culture like it lives on the team level, but if i'm an accountant in in a fortune 500 i've got a different experience in the sales team different experience in the servicing team different experience in the marketing team different experience in the people and culture team yet we're all working towards achieving that same goal in fact you know i was talking to the vp of 23 and me the dna a company out of Silicon Valley, yep. and he said that, you know, I'm attracting engineers, scientists, and social media managers in the same day, and if I told them the same story, I would get none of them on board because that wouldn't be truthfully what they experienced. So I guess what I'm trying to say is here is we have to understand the experience on the team level, what makes the team tick, and attract somebody who would thrive with that team, knowing that they still want the mission, vision, values of the entire organization to come true.
0: Right and And,, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, you know, I'm speaking in a few weeks about culture starting from the bottom up. and And Ed Schein himself has said, "You know, subcultures are now more important than the big organizational culture. Um,
1: well, I don't think an organizational culture exists, though., ooh. I don't think it ever did. That's interesting. There are only a series of subcultures that would aggregate to a series of mission, vision, values, and desired behaviors for an organization to accomplish the task at hand, which at sometimes is driving the bottom line, sometimes is having a triple bottom line or some sort of nonprofit or philanthropic objective. But at the same time to suggest that somebody in Toronto's 34th floor tower has the same experience for that Multinational organization who's on the ground in small town British Columbia have the same culture. I, I I just don't I don't think that it works because culture I think is the wrong word to even use. I think it's experience. Mm. If we start to use experience, then we can taste, feel, touch, smell, ex- relate to experience far better than we can relate to culture because we have a hard time even defining what culture is. Yeah, it,
0: you know it's uh, that's pretty. Uh... I mean I, I, I do I do agree with you in terms of experience. I mean I, I called my my concept purposeful workplace experience. And to me, mm-hmm. experiences are real. They're not made that's up right. happy places where everything's perfect. There's gonna be ups and downs um, and and that's the way it is, but you will learn and grow from experiences. And so what I'm taking from your point is is that cultures, that word has been sort of I'll say fabricated, but loosely applied to a whole lot of different things. Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. has sustainability, so has leadership, yeah. so has many of these words that now mean so much that I find they don't really mean much.
0: right, right. And so um,
1: now that's not to suggest that culture shouldn't be a focus or at least what culture means, but I think that if we want relatability and understanding of culture, we have to start defining it. And very rarely do we do that. I mean, I, I asked a, a couple of people in a big company, you know, pretty much every meeting I have, what do you love about your company? And they say the people. And, and for the people that don't like their job, what do you hate about the company? The people. The people. Yeah. The problem is, is that we fail to understand what it is about the people that we like or dislike. And usually it starts with trust and then it starts with the you know, commitment. But really what it comes down to is an alignment in the experience that these two people have so that they could do their best to work with people that are aligned in accomplishing the same mission, that have a similar vision and that share values across the board with these individuals. So I would say that as long as we're aligned in the outcome, then it, then it, I think it trickles down from there.
0: I mean, oh God, we're so, we're so aligned. I feel like we've uh, we've got such similar philosophies. The way you're articulating it, though, is um, I think much more clear and different, which makes makes it stand out better. Um, you know, this idea of experiences and talking more about that. Um, Let's let's dig into that a little bit more. And, and you talk about that in your book, um, rethink work for anyone who wants to buy uh, another great book from a, <laughs> another great Canadian author, uh, rethink work. Um, so how do you what, what do you do then in your work to help transition people into this concept of experiences and being clear about that in their hiring process?
1: Well, the, the the good thing about this experience conversation is that if things are working, nothing has to change. All we have to do is start talking about it. But again, let's go back to that job description. When we look at that job description, it doesn't describe the experience. It describes the skills and requirements needed to have that experience that you have yet to understand what you're signing up for. Right. And so the experience to me is nothing more than understanding what a day in the life of looks like. Uh, let's let's let 's get to that I mean how long is the average commute for the individuals that are there right. you know i 'd like to know what time the average individual gets to work How many emails do you get in a day? How many hours are you in meetings? How many are on your immediate team? How many slack messages are you going to get? What time do you leave the office if you leave the office? Does work come with you or does work stay there? when you're at home are you on a conference call where you're stirring a spaghetti pod that night or not are you expected to wordsmith that report right before you go to bed or not because if i've got a two-year-old at home these things matter right right you know if i'm if i'm single in 35 or 55 or 15 or maybe not 15 <laughs> uh, 20 then it might not matter as much um but it's just being upfront about that experience that i think is so important um to really getting someone who, who wants to share a similar experience with the people that are there. L- let me give you an example. I'll just give you a quick example. Um, I am living in Vancouver. I've had the pleasure of working with Arc'teryx. And I happen to have a girlfriend that works at Lululemon. Arc'teryx is very, I'm not going to say anti-meeting. But they are communicative via email, via internet, and internal comms. Lulu, on the other hand, is the total opposite. They are in meetings all the time. Um, I, I think, I'm not going to put a number on it, but, but, but a lot. And, and I guess my point here is both of these companies are phenomenal companies. Both of them are in the apparel sector. Uh, ma- many of the people that work at Lululemon are doing the same job as Arcteryx and, and vice versa. But the approach, or I guess the experience and the way of doing that work is vastly different. And so right. Lulu may be a toxic environment for someone at Arc'teryx and Arc'teryx might be a toxic environment for someone at Lulu. It doesn't make them bad or good places to work. It makes them bad or good places to, to work for people who wouldn't thrive in that environment or share that experience.
0: And the job description would be the same for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and totally. I
1: mean, I'm not going to suggest that that is the case for Arc'teryx and Lulu. I think they're a little bit um, – well, I know they're more advanced than that. But, I mean, in many, especially I would say corporate white-collar – let's just say accounting jobs or insurance or finance. You know, if I, if I printed out a stack of 80 resumes for an account manager in 80 different companies and held it up to a bright enough light, I would see right through the whole thing because it's the same thing templated with a yep. different logo in the top right corner.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's what I was going to say. Um, hmm about when I, you know, when I was reading through the book and, and I earmarked the pages, uh, what was on my Kindle. So I pushed the little flag button, um, of the job descriptions, because, you know, having been in the corporate world for so long and having to write some of these job descriptions and get them approved by HR, it was so refreshing Uh to read your version, um, which was the experience. I'm like, God, this is so much better. Um, (laughs) and how can we get, be, How can we get more people, more companies, well, I guess actually more people to be brave enough to put that forth and say, no, we need to do something different here. And this is the way to do it.
1: Well, I mean, like any project in in this sort of space, I would say a pilot project is is usually the way to go. Hey, can we try something with our team? Uh, We're bringing on someone else on our team of four, which means we're going to increase our team by 25%. And we'd like to you know, add a couple of extra questions. I mean, for companies who can't do this and rules and regs are so strict, one thing that I recommend to them is to have a coffee with the individual that's going to be brought on to the team and have them actually come into the team and meet the team. Maybe not all at once, but even one or two of them just to get a sense of who they are. I mean, if you can't put these questions on yeah. the resume, you can sure ask the same questions over a coffee. And you know that in that 30-minute coffee, if you're going to like that person or not, based on how they show up, how they conduct themselves, how they respond to the questions, and perhaps what questions they ask back. So this doesn't have to be a one-sided conversation. This doesn't have to be something where we break through a brick wall either. I think it really just comes down to how do we extract the human out of this individual or out of this resume and, uh, and understand if there's alignment with the team that we've already got and really love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I love what you're saying there. It's so simple. And it's really just be human. Like, let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation and get clarity so that you know what you're coming into.
1: Well, and that's just it. I mean, um, I think one of the biggest roadblocks for companies to do that is that we haven't done their use this process in the past. So not all of our teams are high functioning. They're aligned in the skill. They're aligned in the outcome, but they're not aligned in, in who they are. And so I think that it's, it's going to start. It's not going to be as easy as we might think it is. Um, but for teams that are already functioning as well as they, as they can be, just double down on that. Double down on their strengths and, and really understand who who will align with what you've already got.
0: Yeah. Well, and so, so I want to bring in the diversity notion because I can hear sure. some people saying, well, if you – if you hire um, people that fit in with your group, you're not being diverse. So what what's your, now I'm, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with, um, I think I know where you're going to go, but I want to ask that question because I think people might be thinking it in their head right now. So what would your response be to that, Eric?
1: Values don't have a color, an age, a religion, a background, or a lived experience. I think the way that I like to do my work can be shared with people all over the planet, any walk of life, uh, in terms of how I want to be treated, uh, in terms of what value we can bring to the team. Uh, I think that the myth is that m- all men think the same, or all women think the same, or all millennials think the same, or, or anyone for that matter. And the, re- the, the research shows that that's, that's not true. Um, when we align experience based on values and how we like to get our work done, uh, we can bring people. Of different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures, different sexes, together to share a similar experience, all while bringing the different perspectives and diversity of the life that we lived to the team.
0: Yeah, beautifully stated. I mean, it really is about it's it's about the values and and understanding what those are for ourselves and for the teams that we work within. But
1: but let's 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 unpack values then for a second too, because if there's a word that frustrates me as much as culture, it's values too, because I value a great ice cream cone on a hot summer afternoon. You know, I value a, a big hug from Jill, my girlfriend, when she comes in from, from work at the end of the day. I also value a great degree of respect and, and, and appreciation. And so this idea of, of values, not to suggest that it's not important, but it's yet another thing that we have yet to define. So I think that values, while as important as it is, is still not as important as talking about alignment and desired experience. And when we can talk about that desired experience alignment, that's when I think we can bring this sort of conceptual value statement to life so that we can ensure that there is that uh, alignment from the perspective of employee to the person that's already there.
0: Yeah. And so I, I will, I will agree with you on that uh, in that, how do we, how do we use language that we can all understand and align on? And I hear you values is, can be a loaded word can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, and, and the word experience, I think does, I guess level set the playing field or level set a, oh. a description
1: Well, here's the thing. I mean, I've spoken on stages all all over the world now. I think I've done about 250 keynotes or panels or presentations of one way, shape, or another. And the biggest challenge that I've realized as a speaker when you go into this sort of language topic is that often as a speaker, what I say, what I mean, and what is heard are three totally different things. And so one of my biggest goals as a speaker is to speak in a common language that is universally understood. And the only way that I can do that is to either very clearly define what I mean by value so that there's no gap or use a word that is universally understood. And I think that is experience and experience is only understood when we unpack what that experience is. Otherwise still, nobody knows what I'm talking about.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's a fabulous point. I mean, I, I get stuck in, I mean, I love to read, I love to learn and I, I can tend to, um, get I guess too academic and so I, I really appreciate what you're saying there because I'm very clear on what values mean I use a tool from the Barrett cultural from the Barrett value center and so in my mind mm. that's where I go uh, and and not everybody sees it to that depth and so
1: right so then that requires an education process exactly. from you to whoever you're speaking to, which isn't a bad thing. I, you know, I want to stress that that's not a that, that's yeah. not a bad thing from where I stand. It just it just must be done every time so that you can ensure alignment in the language that you're speaking.
0: Yeah, and experiences. Uh, I mean, well, I created my my concept called purposeful workplace experience. So, I mean, I, I right. see the value in that word, and it doesn't have the the history, the baggage, um, the eye rolls associated with it yet. Hopefully we don't get to a point where, uh, where that happens. Um,
1: right. let's, let's try this. What if I said
0: millennial, what, what would you say? When would you say a millennial was born? Uh, well, I know there's two, uh, cutoffs in 85. What comes to mind is 85 and after, uh, and right. 85 to like 91 ish. And then 91 to 2000, I think.
1: See, and that's, and that's my frustration. I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I'm not saying I'm more right. But when I did a little bit of digging into this, I looked at the U.S. Census Bureau. I looked at Dictionary. I looked at uh, PwC. I looked at Goldman Sachs. I looked at Syzygy. I looked at all of these research bodies, and every single one of them had a different definition as to what a millennial was. Yeah. Any, anything from 77 to 2004. I'm thinking if we look at 77 to 2004, we're talking now half of the American or Canadian population. Like, what? Like, yeah. you know, that doesn't work. And so anytime I talk about millennials, if I were to talk about millennials and suggest they're any different, which, by the way, I don't. Yeah. I would say millennials. And by millennials, I mean people born between 1980 and 1995. Yeah. Take it or leave it. That's just what I'm going to say for consistency. And you can disagree with me on that. But you know, for the sake of this conversation, this is the age group that I'm speaking about. And, and hey, you know what? We can disagree. And that's fine. And that's why I don't really like to talk about this millennial topic. But at least we've aligned yeah. what I'm talking about in the first place. Because when you say 90 or 91 or 90s-ish, you know, two years of the Canadian population represents a significant chunk of people. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I
1: just think it's important to to not leave anyone out or, you know, generalize too broadly if I can avoid it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we won't even go down the path of, of putting people in, into boxes. I think we're both on the right. same page there. Uh, I do. If I recall, you did make a comment in your book, though, about isn't isn't the current generational. Um, time frame even too short now. You said that in your book, didn't you?
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, we we look at this fourth industrial revolution and we see the world around us technologically, namely, uh, you know, jumping not just steps, but leaps forward. We're seeing this almost parabolic change in, in technology. You know, we know that 90% of the information in the world today was put there in the last two years yeah. on, on the internet, sorry. And so what I'm trying to say is that if the world is changing at an exponential rate, then the way that we have to group people has to change that fast too. Because if we look at somebody born between 1960 and 1975, the world did not change as much as it did between 2000 and 2015. I mean, yeah. Think of the technological advancements that happened between the dot-com boom and 2015. I mean, it's, 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 it's unfathomable the change that we've already experienced, yet it's only a fraction of the speed that will be happening in the next 15 years, too. To, su- so to suggest that these generational cohorts are 15-year blocks of time, to me, is laughable because it totally discounts the speed that the world's moving in today and how fast the technology is changing that we have now at our fingertips.
0: Totally agree. I mean, that and I, I see that every day with my children. So I was born in 1972. <laughs> exactly. I used a rotary yeah. phone. Um, you know, I had to get up to change the TV. And, and yeah. my kids were born in 03 and 05. The iPod uh-huh. wasn't even out when they were born. And, right. and so like, and just trying to navigate parenting. That's a whole other discussion, but, um, (laughs) it really, it really shows up and it becomes more and more difficult to, um, make decisions. And so I use that parenting example because my one son is like, mom, why won't you let me, you know, do my own YouTube channel? And I want to, um, you know, go onto Twitch and, and in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, well, wait, I, I have no idea what even some of that stuff means. But, um, it's it's the way it's the world that he lives in and so if i take right. that idea of not knowing what the hell this all means but i still have to make a decision and i put that into the workplace mm. yeah. it just it's like holy crow we're trying to make all these decisions at work too with with technology and differences that we never had even 5 years ago so it just right. again it this whole idea of overwhelm really comes into place which i think if i'm going to come back to what we were talking about i think that that's what gets in our way of being more clear and explicit and talking about experiences instead of just writing the same old job description, right? We get That's overwhelmed right. with everything.
1: That's right. Yeah. Well, if I can articulate how fast technology around this has changed, I, I think I can do it fairly quickly. Let me, let me ask you, uh, what, what did you do in the back of the car when you were a kid growing up? <laughs> how old? Yeah, let's just say six
0: Six. uh, I had no seatbelt. Oh, no, maybe maybe I had a seatbelt. But yeah, I sat in the back of the car and I kicked the chair and I looked out the window.
1: Right. Or, you know, mom or dad were reading a book, perhaps in the front or you're doing a big sing along, right?
0: Yep. (laughs) Something
1: along those lines. Turns out, uh, same thing for me. Um, Yet, my younger brother had a Game Boy, then a PlayStation, then he had, uh, then my younger cousin had um, the seatback TVs that were strapped on. Then there was the fold down TV in the Dodge Caravan. Then the fold down TV, fold down TV is gone because then we had uh, wireless on the phones. Then there's four G yep. LTE games that you're playing on the internet against the person driving down the 403 beside you, doing 120 yep. kilometers an hour. Well, probably not 120 on the 403. Probably more like 20. The fact remains, yep. that you can be doing it just as fast as well. Yeah. The point that I'm saying here is that you know. Historically, things changed uh, slowly. Then I'll say that you know we we can we can argue technological advancements too, but for the sake of this conversation in the back of a car from 1902 <laughs> or whatever it was to you know 2002, back of the car looked very similar. Since then, yep. we've had an enormous change that uh, you know changes how we communicate, changes how we are entertained, changes what a family trip looks like, uh, and as a result, when we apply that. Uh, change to the workplace, to the lives that we live, then we can't possibly suggest that these generational cohorts are the same as they, you know, hundred years ago as they are today.
0: Totally agree. Yeah. T- and it's, it's a fabulous example, a fabulous example um, that you shared there. So, so let's, as we move forward then for, so for people listening and this idea of rethinking work, um, what, what are some, um, some things that, People can do to make sure they're clear about the experience that's being had and to help us adapt better in the workplace?
1: Sure. First thing I'll say for anyone who is unhappy with their job or looking for a job, the, the best tip that I would have for you is to write out what a perfect Tuesday looks like for you. Tuesday is notoriously the worst day of the week. So given that we likely will have to work, what does that look like? And I promise you that there is an organization that will enable you to live your perfect Tuesday, and you just have to go find it. So what time are you waking up? Are you working out before work? What time do you get to work? Is work in an office or is it remote? What does all of this actually look like? How many people are on your team? What are you doing the, to fill your day? When we can get a clear understanding as to what our desired experience is, all of a sudden we've defined it and it becomes that much more easy to identify when it's right in front of us. Right. It's not the logos that we're looking for. It's not necessarily the best places to work. It's the experience that aligns with what we've got. Now, how do we find it? Well, it turns out that we often are friends with people that share similar values that we have as well. And so talking to them about their experience, which by the way, we never do, uh, just because you know work is a bit of a taboo topic, or at least it was into the last few years. Yeah, Understanding what their experience is, knowing that the world is a very small place, that social media and the ability to be in this global village is easier now than it's ever been before. Looking for that experience, because we've defined it so well, doesn't become so daunting anymore. I think I think the same applies when we're trying to train for something physical or when we're looking to go on a diet. As soon as we put that plan in motion, as soon as we define constraints the barriers the boundaries and be able to walk through that confidently then all of a sudden it doesn't seem like such a daunting task
0: right so and and that's so that's a good thing for us to do individually um within the organization if you're trying to get some of this change get some of this experiential language or concepts into place where can we go with that
1: yeah i would say the same thing happens internally define what the current experience is look at what the desired experience would be And look at what I would assume is going to be the small delta to get from where you're here to to, to where you are to where you want to be. Um, When we can map that out, again, when it's defined and not as conceptual as just saying we need to change or we need to improve culture or we need a better experience, then all of a sudden the change that needs to be made, I can almost promise, will be a lot smaller than you think right at the get go.
0: Yeah, and Eric before we we close off, can you share mm-hmm. a story? Like do you have an example of of uh, an organization that did that?
1: Well, I think you'll see a, a lot of organizations, you know, you got the the classic Zappos, but one of my one of my favorite companies here in um Vancouver is Bench Accounting. You know, they've done an incredible job. Check them out. I've got no connection to them. I just, I'm I'm a fan. Um, But their job descriptions on Bench.co are are great. Their clarity around what they're building is crystal clear. And the people that they're attracting are are phenomenal. You know, uh, I think a best employee doesn't exist. I think a best employee for that place of work certainly does. And I believe that they found them.
0: Right, right. Love it. Um, and, and I, you, I know you had that reference in your, uh, in your book and I went and looked at them and I agree with you. It was like, wow, this, I get, I have some clarity here. Cool, yeah, right? it was. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Eric, yeah. I, uh, that was the fastest 35 minutes. Um, I have to say, I, <laughs> um, yeah, for yeah, sure. no. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on uh, to the podcast and, uh, for the listeners out there. Um, can you share some information about uh, your book, where they can find it, and any upcoming things that people might be interested in, where sure. they can hear more from you?
1: Yeah. Um, if you've got a Canadian audience, we've got Coles Indigo chapters. Uh, Amazon.ca, of course, is there. Uh, you can check it out on my website, too. It's just erictermwendy.com. If you want to get in touch, LinkedIn is my primary method of communication, at least to get things started i um, yep. happy to connect with anyone who'd like to, uh, you know, speaking is, is, is my job. And if there's an organization who wants to, you know, perhaps be, uh, shocked or inspired into action around this experiential piece, um, let me know. And, uh, you know, really appreciate your time today, Carolyn, and really, really appreciate the, the chat.
0: Yeah, well, uh thanks thanks Eric and we're we're definitely aligned and you helped me uh you've helped me articulate um I shouldn't say articulate you've helped me formulate some um deeper thoughts around this idea of experiences. So, uh thank you for thank you for that. Um and thanks to all of you out there listening to this episode of PWE and me and uh we'll see you on the next episode. in hearing more about pwe well i'd welcome you to buy my book rules of engagement building a workplace culture to thrive in an uncertain world i share stories personal and professional about different elements of pwe and it's available on amazon or on indigo thanks to all of you out there this is why we do this this is why we have this conversation We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswora.com.